Welcome to another session of the Perfect Puzzle. We are going through Psalm 23, and uh, we're going to do just the first half of this verse uh, in this session, and we'll do the second half in our next session. The reason I'm doing that is to try to keep our podcast uh, time to a reasonable 15 to 20 minutes. 20, 20 minutes max, I, I think, is the longest uh, that I'm going to try to keep them to. So if you'll bear with me for just a few few minutes and listen in, I think you just might learn something. So we'll start with prayer. Father, we thank you. I thank you, Lord, that I can bring your word to, to others. I thank you for the listeners. I thank you, Lord, that we can study your word together in this manner with the aid of technology. Lord, I ask if there's anyone in my hearing that needs to know you, that they would find you, Father. And I ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, Psalm 23, verse 3. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Now, we're only going to look at he refreshes my soul. Now, when you're studying this psalm, you know, it should always be remembered that it's a sheep in the good shepherd's care who is speaking here. It's a Christian's claim of belonging in the family of God. As such, he boasts of the benefits of such a relationship. With that being said, you might well ask, why then the statement here that he restores my soul? You know, it's, I think it would be assumed that anyone in the Good Shepherd's care would never become so distressed in his soul as to need restoration. But, you know, the longer I walk as a Christian, the more I find that it does happen. David, who is the author of this psalm, was so much loved of God knew what it was to be cast down and dejected. He had, tasted de he had tasted defeat in his life, and he felt the frustration of having fallen under temptation. David was acquainted with the bitterness of feeling hopeless and without strength in himself. In Psalm 42.11, which he also wrote, he cries out, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Now here, let me give you an insight that you may not readily see. Did you know that you can talk to your soul? And there's an exact parallel to this in caring for sheep. You know, only those people who are acquainted with sheep and their habits understand the significance of a cast sheep or a cast down sheep. Now cast down is an old English shepherd's term for a sheep that is turned over on its back and can't get up again. It's lying on its back, its feet in the air, flailing away, frantically struggling to stand up with no success. Sometimes it will bleat a little for help, but generally it lies there rolling about in fright and frustration. And if the shepherd doesn't get to the sheep within a short time, it will die. And that's a reason why it's essential for a shepherd to look over his flock every day, count them to see that they're all up and on their feet. If there's one or two missing, often the first thought in his mind is, you know, i got to go find my sheep. He must be cast somewhere. 
I got to find it and set it on its feet again. And it's not only the shepherd who keeps a sharp eye for cast sheep, but the predators, buzzards, vultures, dogs, coyotes, cougars, all know that a cast sheep is easy prey and death is not far off. And nothing seems to nothing seems to arouse his constant care and diligent attention to the flock is the fact that even the largest, fattest, strongest, and even the healthiest sheep can become cast and die. And it's most often the fat sheep that are the most easily cast down. Uh, this is how it happens. A heavy fat or a long fleece sheep will lie down comfortably in some little hollow or find a depression in the ground. And it rolls over on its side to stretch out, kind of relax a little bit. And then suddenly the center of gravity in the sheep's body shifts. It rolls onto its back far enough that its feet are no longer touching the ground. It starts to feel a sense of panic, starts to paw frantically, and of course that only makes things worse. It rolls over even further. And until now, it's impossible for it to regain its feet. And as it lies there struggling, gases begin to build up in the sheep's rumen. R-U-M-E-N. Now that's the first part of the sheep of a st- of the stomach of a sheep. It's a large muscular sac. It holds food before it goes into the three smaller parts of the stomach. And the rumen can hold up to 60% of the sheep's body weight in dry material. Now, that amounts to about 11 to 12 gallons. Now, the gases expand in a cast sheep. Then they retard and cut off blood circulation in the extremities of the body, especially the legs. If the weather is very hot and sunny, a cast sheep can die in just a few hours. If it's cool and cloudy or rainy, it may survive for several days. And if the cast sheep is a, is a pregnant with lambs, it's a multiple loss because the lambs are not born. They die when the sheep dies. If, they're, if they are young and suckling lambs, they become orphans. And a shepherd is always alert for this problem. It's not easy to tell you the sense of this ever-present danger. If the shepherd sees buzzards circling in their long, slow spirals, he's going to leave everything else and immediately go into the pasture and count the flock, make sure everyone is well and fit and able to be on its feet. Now, this is part of the pageantry and drama it's pictured here for us in the story of the 90 and 9 sheep when one goes astray. And that's in Matthew chapter 18. That story Jesus tells pictures the shepherd's deep concern, agonizing search, his longing to find the missing sheep, and his delight in restoring it not only to its feet, but also to the flock as well as to himself. Now, a shepherd will spend hours searching for a single sheep that's missing. As soon as he reaches it, he rolls the sheep over on its side. But to rel- this immediately starts relieving the pressure of gases in, in the rumen. If she's been down for a, for, a, for a while, he has to lift her onto her feet. Then he'll straddle the sheep with his legs and hold her up, starts rubbing her legs to restore the circulation. And that can take quite some time until the sheep starts to walk again. 
and you know she'll often stumble, stagger, and collapse in a heap once more, and the shepherd has to pick it back up again. But little by little, as the sheep regains its equilibrium, it starts to walk steadily, and soon it just dashes away back back to the flock. Now all of this pageantry is conveyed to my heart and mind when I repeat the simple statement, He restores my soul. There's something intensely personal and tender and endearing yet intensely filled with danger in that picture. On the one hand, there's the helpless sheep, utterly immobilized, though otherwise the sheep is strong, healthy, and flourishing. And on the other hand, there's the shepherd, quick and ready to come to its rescue, always patient, tender, and helpful. At this point, it's important to point out in the Christian life, there's a comforting parallel here. Many people have the idea that when a child of God fails, when he's frustrated and helpless in a spiritual dilemma, God becomes disgusted, fed up, and even furious with him. And that's just simply not so. One of the great revelations of the heart of God given to us by Jesus is that of himself as our shepherd. He has the exact same identical sensations of anxiety, concern, and compassion for cast men and women as the shepherd has for cast sheep. That's precisely why he looked on people with such compassion. It explains his dealings with down-and-out people for whom human society had no use. It reveals why he wept over those who spurned his affection. It discloses the depth of his understanding of undone people to whom he came eagerly and quickly ready to help, to save, and to restore. Now, when I read the life story of Jesus, and examine carefully his conduct and coping with human need, I see him again and again as a good shepherd. He's picking up cast sheep. The tenderness, love, and patience that he used to restore Peter's soul after the tragedy of, of Peter's temptations is a classic picture of Jesus coming to restore one of his own. And he comes quietly, gently, reassuringly to me, no matter when or where or how I may be cast down. In Psalm 56:13, we're given an accurate commentary on this aspect of the Christian life. These words are, You have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. You know, we have to be realistic about the life of the child of God and face facts as they really are. Most of us, though we belong to Christ and desire to be under his control and try to allow ourselves to be led by him, do on some occasions find ourselves cast down. And it's often we discover that when we are most sure of ourselves, that's the time that we stumble and fall. Sometimes when we appear to be flourishing in our faith, we find ourselves in a situation of utter frustration and futility. Paul when he wrote to the Christians at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10:12, he warned them of, of that danger. He said, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Now that may appear to be one of the paradoxes and enigma of our spiritual lives, but when we examine it, it's not difficult to understand. As with sheep, so with Christians. 
some basic principles and parallels apply which will help us to grasp the way in which a man or woman can be cast. There is first of all the idea of looking for a soft spot. The sheep that choose the comfortable, soft, rounded hollows in the ground in which to lie down, they're the ones that very often become cast. And in such a situation, it's so easy for them to just roll over on their backs. You know, in the Christian life, there's great danger in always looking for the easy place, the cozy corner, the comfortable position where there is no hardship, no need for endurance, no demand upon self-discipline. Self-discipline. At times when we think we have it made, so to speak, is actually when we're in mortal danger. There is such a thing as the discipline of poverty and privation, which can be imposed to do us worlds of good. Jesus suggested that to the, to, the young, to the young man who mistakenly assumed he was in a safe position when in truth he was on the verge of being cast down. Sometimes, if through self-indulgence I'm unwilling to forfeit or forgo the soft life, the easy way, the cozy corner, then the good shepherd comes along and moves me, may, may well move me to a pasture where things aren't quite so comfortable, not only for my own good, but for his benefit as well. There's the aspect, too, of a sheep simply having too much wool. Often when the fleece becomes very long and heavy matted with mud, manure, burrs, and other, you know, stuff, it is much easier for a sheep to become cast. It gets literally weighed down with its own wool. Now, wool in scripture depicts the old self-life in the Christian. It's the outward expression of an inner attitude, the assertion of my own desire and hopes and aspirations. It's the area of my life in, in which and through which I am continually in contact with the world around me. Here is where I find the clinging accumulation of things, of possessions, of worldly ideas beginning to weigh me down, drag me down, and hold me down. You know, it's significant that in Israel, the, no high priest was ever allowed to wear wool when he entered the Holy of Holies. Wool spoke of self, of pride, personal preference, and God will not tolerate that. If I wish to go on walking with God and not be forever cast down, it's an aspect of my life that I, God must deal with drastically. You know, whenever a shepherd finds a sheep is being cast because he's too long and heavy of fleece, he fixes the situation. In short order, he shears it clean to eliminate the danger of having the, the sheep lose her life. And it's not always a pleasant process. Sheep do not enjoy being sheared. And it's hard work for the shepherd. But it has to be done. Now when it's all over, both sheep and shepherd are relieved. For the shepherd, there's no longer the threat of being cast down. While for the sheep, there's a pleasure of being set free from a hot, heavy coat. Often the fleece is clogged, you know, like I said, with filthy manure, mud, burrs, sticks, and ticks. You know, it's got to be a relief to get rid of it all. And similarly, in a similar manner, in dealing with our old self-life, there's going to come a, there will come a day when the, the master must take us in hand and apply the keen cutting edge of his word to our lives. 
It may be an unpleasant business for a time, and no doubt we'll struggle and kick about it. We may get a few cuts and wounds, but it's a relief when it's all over. Now the third chief cause of cast sheep is that they're too fat. Overly fat sheep are not the most healthy, nor are they the most productive. And it's the fattest along with the heaviest with, with wool that are most often cast. Their weight simply makes it that much harder for them to be agile and nimble on their feet. Once a shepherd suspects the sheep are, are becoming cast because they're fat, he's going to take long-range steps to fix the problem. He'll put them on a more rigorous ration, they'll get less grain, and the general condition of the flock is going to be watched very closely. It's his aim to see that the sheep are strong, sturdy, and energetic, not fat, flabby, and weak. And when we turn to the Christian life, we're confronted with the same sort of problem. There are men and women who, because they may have done well in business, or in their careers, or their homes, feel that they are flourishing, and feel that they have arrived. They may have a sense of well-being and self-assurance, and that in itself is dangerous. It's often when we are most sure of ourselves is the time when we're the most likely to fall flat. Now, when Jesus warned the church in Revelation 3.17, he pointed out that some considered themselves rich and affluent. They were actually a desperate danger. The same point was made by Jesus in his account of the wealthy farmer who intended to build more and bigger barns, but who in fact faced utter ruin. Material success is no measure of spiritual health. Health, nor is your standing in the estimation of nor is your standing in the estimation of other of any other criteria of real godliness. It's good for us that the shepherd of our souls sees through this exterior, takes steps to set things right. Now, he may well impose on us some sort of diet or discipline that we may find a bit rough and unpalatable at first. We need to reassure ourselves it's for our own good, because he loves us and for his own reputation as the good shepherd. Hebrews 12, we read how God chooses to discipline those he loves. At the time, it may prove a tough routine. But the deeper truth is that afterward, it produces a life of rest and tranquility, tranquility free from the fret and frustration of being cast down like a helpless sheep. The toughness it takes to face life and the reverses which it brings to us can only come through the discipline of endurance and hardship. In his mercy and love, our master makes this a part of our program. It's a part of the price of belonging to it. We can rest assured he'll never expect us or ask us to face more than we can stand. Now that assurance is based on 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. But what he does expose us to is going to strengthen and fortify our faith and confidence in his control. He is the good shepherd. We could rest assured that he knows what he is doing. And that in and of itself should be enough to continually refresh and restore anyone's soul. I know of nothing which so quiets and enlivens my own spiritual life as the knowledge that God knows what he is doing with me. All right. Thank you very much. This has been The Perfect Puzzle. 
I'll leave you with a short prayer. Father, I just ask that the words that we've spoken here today will touch someone, Father. And your word will go out. I ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.